Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. This is a discussion of oral Torah, and this will be part two of that discussion. And as I suggested in part one, this is actually a far more important discussion than most people may think, particularly most Christians, because the truth of the matter is this. Without a basic understanding of Hebraic Judaic oral Torah, it is literally impossible, literally impossible to understand the New Testament. You are guaranteed to misunderstand and misinterpret the writings of the New Testament unless you have a basic underlying foundational grasp of oral Torah. I also mention how oral Torah, technically speaking, is simply a, a couple of words that means verbal teachings. There are all types of verbal teachings, so there are all types of oral Torahs, if you consider the word Torah to mean teaching or instruction, which it does. It's a Hebrew word that simply means teaching or instruction. But people need to understand, they need to have a grasp of the Judaic Hebraic understanding of oral Torah in order to properly interpret the Scripture and I would say more so even the New Testament, since it is heavily based upon oral Torah. Christians do not realize that. The New Testament is literally dripping with allusions to oral Torah. Now, in part two, as I ended part one, I mentioned this is what we'd be doing. I'm going to first discuss the approach that I intend to take within this discussion. So let us continue. Within this discourse, I will utilize clearly presented deductive reasoning. I will state premises, clarify those premises with definition and expansion, and then deduce from them the undeniable fact that oral Torah is indispensable and appropriate to properly understand biblical truths. In the end, for a Christian to deny this, would be equivalent to their denial of the very methods they use and had used on them to arrive at their beliefs, as well as the very scripture that they claim to revere. My approach to this subject are listed in four parts and will be elaborated upon within various sections of the discussion. Premise 1, in which oral Torah is defined and which serves as an extended preliminary discussion, is the focus of the written part 1 that you can find on the TorahMessiah.org website. And on the website, TorahMessiah.org, you'll find this oral Torah discussion written and divided into two parts, part 1 and part 2. That's because of its length. Together, they comprise 50 pages of material. Part 1 primarily focuses upon premise 1, which you will find within that material and which we will soon, I will very soon mention. Parts or premises 2 through 5 constitute what is in the written form, part 2 on the website. And they present, that is premises 2 through 5, presents reasons why oral Torah is necessary, legitimate, and actually already practiced within Christianity. Therefore, it exposes Christianity's blatant hypocrisy regarding the subject of oral Torah. 
So let us continue. Now, within this audio discussion, it's of course going to be more than two parts. I estimate probably anywhere from nine to 12 parts, because again, it's 50 pages. And of course, as I talk and discuss within the podcast and, and the audio, I generally ad lib and I add material and I expand upon material even more so than is found within the written material. Okay, so what are the premises? And again, I'm going to state the premise, and each time I, I discuss a premise, I will then draw a conclusion on that premise and go to the next premise, the next premise, etc. So premise one is this. Christians do not know what Torah and oral Torah are. Premise number two. Christianity regularly and always has utilized oral Torah. And that is a fact, people. Premise number three. The New Testament supports and is itself a small presentation of basic oral Torah. The New Testament is oral Torah in written form. Now, I'll, let me expand that. When I say oral Torah, I mean what at one time prior to the first century, actually prior to the second century, whenever there were discussions within synagogues, generally most of the oral Torah was not written down. That's why it's called oral or verbal. They were verbal teachings that were not written down. Matter of fact, it was forbidden to write them down. Now, students in various Torah study schools or yeshivas would take notes, so there was some writing, but there was never anything published because it was oral Torah that was passed down verbally or orally all the way from Moses. Okay, so now though, however, oral Torah is has been written, and that was done because of Roman persecution, the desire and efforts under the Roman Empire to literally rid the world of Torah, to rid the world of God's instructions, rabbis at the time realized if they don't write this stuff down, and if they get killed, and if the Torah teachers and Torah sages are killed and wiped out, Torah will disappear. So in order to save it, they begin to write it down. All right? So that's why you'll hear it called oral Torah, because at one point it was indeed simply verbally taught. It was not written. Now it is much of it has been written down. All right? So again, premise three, as I said, the New Testament supports in it itself a small presentation of basic oral Torah. In premise or part four, further evidence of oral Torah will be presented from Scripture. And finally, premise five, evidence will be shown proving Christians to be incorrect, to be wrong in their thinking that the New Testament condemns oral Torah. The New Testament most certainly does not condemn oral Torah. As I said, the New Testament is itself oral Torah. So those are the five premises that will basically divide and or subdivide this discussion. Continuing, a discussion of oral Torah exposes a primary bias and error practiced by those who reject it. With Christianity, this is particularly true because of its staunchly anti-Torah foundation that enslaves well-meaning Christians in a prison of profound error and spiritual lawlessness. The lawlessness teachings 
common within Christianity, resulting from its anti-Torah basis, are a direct affront to God's pleas to mankind for obedience and a change of heart and lifestyle. Errors such as those show just how far anti-Torah Christianity has taken mankind away from biblical truth. Or more specifically, how Christianity has taken mankind from the eternal teachings or Torah of the Creator. Indeed, as I say elsewhere within the material and within the podcast and audios and written material, Christianity, since it is foundationally anti-Torah, it is literally foundationally anti-God's instructions because that's what Torah is. Torah represent the teachings or instructions of the Creator God. Now this this discussion is a particularly prickly issue for Christians. Many issues exposed on the Torah Messiah website are disagreeable to Christians. Few more so than the one discussed within this series, since it strikes at the central support pillar of Christianity. The anti-Torah pillar upon which Christianity began to be constructed after its tragic apostasy beginning in the mid-2nd century under the Roman Emperor Hadrian and which became solidified in the 4th century under the Roman Emperor Constantine is the fundamental error of the Christianity category of religions, which gives birth to numerous other errors. If you think Jesus Christ is the central pillar of Christianity, then, my friend, you are innocently deceived. You are wrong. Jesus Christ is not the actual central pillar of Christianity. By utilizing a faulty Christ representation, that is, by Christianity utilizing a faulty Christ representation, a counterfeit a counterfeit image used to conceal the true Jewish Messiah Yeshua, that's his real name, Yeshua, presented in the New Testament, by doing that, by utilizing that counterfeit image of their Christ, the Jesus of Christianity becomes nothing more than a tool used by Christianity to advance its primary actual agenda. That primary agenda being to rid the world of God's eternal Torah. That's all the Jesus Christ of Christianity actually really is. It's a tool used by Christianity to eradicate Torah. And they've been using that tool since as early as the 2nd century, most certainly since the 4th century. This actual agenda of pagan Roman Empire-based Christianity is hidden behind the deep affection and worship Christians are taught to have towards Christianity's flawed portrayal of Jesus Christ, whose true name, Yeshua, Christianity's leaders have refused to use for approximately 1,600 years at the very least. They won't even use his correct name. They use a bogus name, Jesus, and refuse to use his true name, Yeshua. Rome-based Christianity's deceit has been practiced 
so well for so long with such shrewd cunning, fear tactics, emotional fervor, and masterful trickery that very few Christians ever see through the charade. Virtually everything in Christianity is an outgrowth of its predominant anti-Torah theme. Christianity's faulty representation of Jesus and preposterously incorrect definition of a corporeal God in the flesh originate from Christianity's foundational anti-Torah perspective and the ensuing plague of Torah ignorance among Christians. The actual Messiah Yeshua of the New Testament has been renamed Jesus by Christianity, had his true characteristics, beliefs, and teachings distorted, and is being exploited to further doctrines and goals he would never have supported. A fact Christians will discover, possibly in a very unpleasant manner, when he returns. Yeshua's most dedicated opponents within Akiva or Rabbinic Judaism are gleeful with such a scenario because it greatly simplifies and helps them in achieving their own objectives, most notably preventing Jews from embracing Yeshua as Messiah. Therefore, in a truly strange twist of irony, Christianity's numerous errors serve the cause of Yeshua's most fervent opponents within Akiva Judaism. Few Christians or others who reject oral Torah will complete a reading or listening of this discussion. And I realize that. I realize very few Christians will complete the listening of this material. I am very much aware of that. Most of them will stop long before completion or listen to it with such strong bias that nothing I share will be absorbed into their minds. Despite the clear truth of the opinions I share, those in disagreement usually refuse to consider them. Instead, they cling to their indefensible anti-Torah stance while stubbornly refusing to think for a second that they could be wrong. They, will, they do not even allow the thought to enter their mind that they're wrong in their rejection of Torah. If I lived in a city for, let's say, over 20 years and entered into a conversation with someone about it who had never lived there or even visited, that person would not hesitate to view my opinions as authoritative. At the very least, they would realize that my experience is greater than theirs and thus certainly more likely to accurately represent the facts regarding the city. Many such analogies can be drawn. The same applies to sports, medicine, engineering, farming, etc. In each and every case of virtually any secular topic one can imagine, experience and or study of the topic is viewed as a justification for the less experienced person to heed what the more experienced person has to say. Right? That's common sense. Well, such is most definitely not the case with a topic such as be, is being discussed now. Despite the usual complete lack of 
experience in Torah study within Christianity and among Christians, they practically always reject any opinion that proves Torah should be studied and practiced by legitimate followers of Christ. The rejection is magnified when oral Torah is discussed. The very fact that such instant rejection among those ignorant of the topic occurs when the same instant rejection never occurs regarding other topics is proof of their extreme bias and refusal to actually seek God's truth. A road God placed me on that I did not intend to travel. When I first began my intense search for truth in the very early 1990s, I never imagined that it would lead to my present condition. I was raised a Christian, baptized as a teenager, and later backslid in ways that brought me to feel shameful regret. And upon realizing my need for repentance, I desperately sought to simply be a more devoted Christian. I wanted to be a more devoted, better Christian. I had no intention whatsoever of changing my personal beliefs. Forsaking traditional Christianity did not for an instant enter my consciousness. I simply wanted to be a better, more devoted Christian. That was my only goal. I knew nothing about Torah and frankly did not care to find out. Like virtually all Christians, I considered Torah to be the law that was allegedly nailed to the cross and allegedly nullified through Christ. Worse still was my view of the oral Torah of Judaic sages. I considered it to be little more than demonic garbage created by the enemies of Christ to bring us back into the bondage of the law. I was of the exact same mindset of those who generally reject what lies within this discussion. Therefore, I know precisely what they believe and why they believe it. Virtually any opinion that can be imagined by a Christian to justify their rejection of Torah was an opinion that I also at one time held. Well, I was wrong about Torah, and especially about oral Torah. In fact, I was not simply wrong. I was profoundly wrong. It is amazing how God will answer prayers for understanding of His ways if they are asked with sincerity, determination, steadfastness, and most of all, without any, any remnant of bias or predetermined conclusions which are housed in our individual selfish egos. God will answer prayers for understanding, but my friend, you have to get rid of bias completely. All bias, all predetermined conclusions. If you do not rid your mind of those, God's not going to give you understanding. God can't fill a head that's already filled with self. Denial of self 
is necessary if you truly wish to understand the ways of God. Well, back in the early 1990s when I began my search, I had the proper mindset as I asked and prayed for understanding. And God led me to a place I had never imagined, a total upheaval of my spirituality. It did not happen quickly. In fact, it took years of progressively deeper study. And frankly, it continues. But the Eternal One's answer to my prayers occurred and continues to occur to this very day as my eyes are opened more and more to additional truth, Torah truth. Be careful what you ask for. You may not realize what the answer to prayer may bring. Those answers, if asked with absolute unbiased sincerity, may be completely different than you assumed they would be. In fact, they probably will be completely different. Though I am eternally grateful for the answers from God, it did not come without great cost to friendships, family associations, and my life in general. The path of truth for a person forsaking Christianity's anti-Torah mentality while also refusing to participate in Akiva Judaism's elitist and exclusive club run by dictatorial rabbis is a path of loneliness, isolation, persecution, and continual damnation from Christianity's tragically ignorant masses. This is especially true for those like me who continue to accept Yeshua as Messiah and the general reliability of the New Testament, since Akiva or Rabbinic Judaism is not a real option for such people. Do not think for an instant that I am embraced by Judaism, any more than I am embraced by Christianity for my opinions. I am instead between a rock and a hard place, the rock of Judaism and the hard place of Christianity. And both would prefer to see those like myself crushed and eliminated. Christians must detoxify themselves from Christianity's anti-Torah poison before they are capable of partaking in and benefiting from the spiritually nutrient-rich truths of Torah's infinite garden. On the other hand, Akiva or Rabbinic Judaism must rid itself of its deeply entrenched sage or rabbi worship, extreme elitism, instant rejection of what the New Testament teaches, and realize it does not have all the answers, despite the fact that it does have more than Christianity. Akiva Judaism must humble itself and recognize that it may be wrong about its wholesale rejection of what the New Testament teaches, which is far different than what Christianity claims that it teaches. My, oh my, how things change. How things change. Now, one of my ultimate goals is to guide a person to one destination, 
the destination of Torah study, an objective that will allow Christians to escape the serious false teachings of Christianity by more accurately understanding the person and mission of Messiah or Christ. That destination, if truly achieved, requires discarding the severe errors Christians have absorbed from the anti-Torah foundational positions of Christianity. Teachings that are actually anti-God. Anti-God, yes. Christianity's anti-Torah teachings are anti-God in the purest sense of the word. And I mean that seriously, without any hyperbole. If a Christian or ex-Christian reaches the goal I wish for them, then the journey has not ended. Instead, it has only just truly begun. All they have done up to that point is free themselves of the heavy burdens of error that may hinder their journey to truth. Only then are they at a point to really begin to learn and absorb truth, truth that is impossible to absorb as a Christian since Christianity furiously opposes it and has ever since the 4th century. It is at that point I find myself lacking the expertise. That is, when a Christian reaches that point of Torah search, or excuse me, of Torah embrace, I find myself to an extent lacking the expertise to properly guide them much further by instructing them in Torah, which is a subject of unparalleled lofty and divine criticality. I am not a Torah teacher. I do not claim to be. At best, I am a student who is too unworthy, too unrighteous, and too lacking in the necessary wisdom to dare pose as a Torah teacher. But I do do this. I lead people to the Torah teachers. The rest is up to the one who wishes to be led to decide if they will figuratively sit at the feet of those teachers and learn Torah. Furthermore, there is no need for me to attempt to instruct a person in Torah since the Eternal One has provided us a vast wealth of sublime instruction through the opinions of past Torah masters, inspired men of purity, devotion, and wisdom, yet still fallible, they're not perfect, don't just assume everything they teach is correct, okay? you got to be discerning. Thus, I am simply a guide for those seeking the gateway into the realm of Torah study. Once I have accomplished that goal, it is up to the individual to choose whether or not to enter the gate. And I then return to guide others while continuing my own much-needed studies. Since I am technically, I guess, an ex-Christian, that is, an if you, I'm an ex-anti-Torah Christian, maybe a better way to put it, since I am an ex-anti-Torah Christian and thoroughly familiar with the mindset of anti-Torah Christians, my primary targeted audience is those Christians allegedly searching for truth. Allegedly. Because, frankly, very few Christians ever really do search for truth. Sadly, very few of them reach the destination to which I wish to guide. Most are too biased, deluded, 
sealed in error due to the evil success of Christianity's Torah Hatred Foundation. Though they may be truly loving and sincere individuals, they nevertheless have no idea how extremely ignorant of truth they really are. Just as I once had no idea how ignorant of truth I was. The typical Christian considers those like myself to be damned for daring to totally separate ourselves from these severe errors of Roman Empire-based Christianity, and therefore, in large measure, from Christianity itself. So be it. In the afterlife, they will realize their mistake, and hopefully be corrected and admitted into the promised blissful world to come because of God's great mercy, or, God forbid, they may possibly suffer eternal death because of their willful decision, their purposeful decision to reject God's eternal teachings, to reject His Torah. I know many truly loving, compassionate, caring Christians whom I have no doubt will live eternally. However, such an outcome is not because Christianity's anti-Torah teachings are correct. It is because God is extremely merciful and forgiving of their ignorant acceptance of Christianity's errors and because, whether they know it or not, Christians are actually being taught some Torah since the New Testament is filled with basic Torah teachings. Many basic Torah teachings. Okay, I will define Torah within this discussion. I will also define and prove that oral Torah, the teachings of the sages, is an inseparable component of the totality of Torah. Without its oral Torah component, Torah is both incomplete and impossible to fully understand. But first, a few words regarding my approach to this and other topics on which I share my opinion. Okay, this represents a general method of approach to all biblical topics. I am firmly convinced that the most crucial factor necessary for grasping truth, biblical truth, is a proper mindset, a correct context from which to approach Scripture. If a person has the wrong mindset, there is no way they will ever learn truth. No matter how much debate, arguing, or presentation of material, without a correct mindset, it is all for naught. I often get correspondence from people who have been taught that the Torah has been nullified or abolished through Christ. In each case, they will present one and usually numerous alleged proofs that the law is no longer in effect. They request or demand that I respond. In years past, I did. And all it generated was an endless stream of such communication with them rarely changing their minds because, generally, they never intended to open their minds to consider my opinion anyway. 
For them, it was simply a sparring contest, with their bias preventing them from pondering the possibility that they could be wrong. I eventually realized that the problem is not the proofs or lack thereof. The problem is a severely flawed contextual mindset being applied by them, being applied by those who are anti-Torah Christians. Therefore, I realized it was time to change the approach. Obviously, batting away pitch after pitch of ignorant Torah-hating arguments thrown my way only caused more pitches to be thrown. It was and is fruitless and a complete waste of time. That is why I no longer participate in discussion with those who obviously need to totally restructure their entire mindset or who are so biased that they're biased beyond the point of reasoning. It is also, frankly, why I refuse to engage in any debates. People like that are quite literally in need of a complete overhaul of how they think. They need to change the way they think by learning the correct contextual mindset that should be applied to Scripture. If the mindset is improper, any time spent refuting their arguments is wasted. As the saying goes, a man convinced against his will is a man of the same opinion still. The will is driven by the contextual approach, the mindset. That must first be corrected before truth can be conveyed. The problem with most people is that they approach the New Testament in general and the Apostle Paul's material in particular with a terribly defective mindset. It is true for Christians and also for those I label as anti-Paulist, that is, those who reject and despise the Apostle Paul. In both cases, their mindset regarding what they think the New Testament teaches is severely flawed and drives them to extreme errors in their understanding. I briefly explain the origins for this faulty mindset in a separate article that you will find on the Torah Messiah website called It Is Time. The article is named It Is Time. And on page two within that, within that discussion, you'll find a section entitled How Rome, Corrupted the Excuse Me, How Rome Corrupted the Original New Testament Faith. The mindset debacle became a permanent fixture of Christianity in the 4th century and has remained so to this day. It is time for it to change, and the current proliferation of Torah teaching due to translations of those teachings finally being produced in languages that are more common than those in which they were written is causing the correction to slowly occur. In particular, the growth of so many English translations is having an impact since it opens the door to millions upon millions, frankly, literally billions, of potential readers searching for truth. There are also countless audio and video Torah lectures. This discussion that you are listening to is only a tiny part of an end-time movement that is slowly but surely correcting the intentional spirit of delusion-inspired Roman instigated instigated mindset change of the 4th century by proclaiming and promoting 
how Scripture should actually be studied and exposing the monstrously defective standard Christian approach. The tactic I apply is to try and correct the mindset of people so that if they are true students, which is what disciple and the Hebrew equivalent Talmudim means, if they are truly students, then they will be able to grasp truth on their own without having to rely so much on persuasion from others. And I call that outsourcing your eternity. Sadly, almost all Christians completely outsource their eternity. They let themselves be told what to believe instead of seeking truth on their own. They're outsourcing eternity, and in many cases, the result is going to be eternal death, almost certainly. Take your mind back from your leaders, Christians. Stop outsourcing your eternal destiny. Okay, so a proper Torah mindset, which is the traditional and actual New Testament mindset, is crucial. Christians do not have it, and neither do most Messianics, even though they think they do. This is proven by the fact that as of this reading, as of this writing an article, most Messianics believe and teach the same idolatrous pagan God-in-the-flesh error as does their mother faith, Christianity, an error that strikes at the very heart of fundamental Torah truth. They, that is, those counterfeit Messianics, think that by having reverence for Torah, their mindset is correct. They are wrong even though they are at least heading in the right direction. However, revering Torah and having the Torah mindset are not the same thing. Therefore, my approach is not to refute specific arguments. Instead, I aim to illustrate how an incorrect mindset is the root of the entire problem regarding whether or not the New Testament and specifically Paul's epistle, epistles are anti-Torah. If a person corrects their approach to how they study Scripture and repairs the faulty mindset they apply to those studies, then the problem generally resolves itself. However, this is true only if one is sincerely seeking truth and willing to undertake what may be a lengthy series of studies. And when I say lengthy, I'm not talking about days or weeks or possibly months. Torah study is lifelong. I've been studying for now almost 30 years. It's going to at least take you many months. But if your mindset is correct... You start the journey in a good place. You're starting the journey in the hands of God. And the journey can be joyous and very uplifting. But that journey will require dedication, the likes of which most people rarely pursue. And it will require the reading of books, possibly numerous books, to finally decipher and discover the mindset necessary 
it is advised to hear or view many Torah lectures. If you're unwilling to pursue such types of study, reading such books, viewing Torah lectures, then please do not claim that you love God or Messiah. Since you are not even willing to study, you obviously do not love them. Obviously, removing stubborn bias is required. And most people, most Christians, stubbornly refuse to do so. The sages wisely state, Study is the highest form of worship. And I believe they are correct. Willingness of a person to undertake intense study in their search for God's truth is powerful evidence of their devotion to that God. Unwillingness to undertake such study is evidence of the opposite, a lack of devotion and lack of love for God. Whether or not a person is willing to apply themselves to the extent necessary is not my problem. It's their problem. They will have to answer to the eternal creator for themselves. And I will have done my job in service to the Most High regardless if I strive to assist them in their search for eternal truth. Okay, now I'm going to pause part two here. I'm going to pause this discussion of oral Torah and we will pick up part one and I will start with a brief disclaimer and then I will jump right into premise number one which is that Christians do not know what Torah and oral Torah are. So in the next part, we'll jump into the actual meat of the discussion, and this concludes basically the introduction portion, and uh, from here henceforth, we will then jump right in and begin discussing oral Torah and why it is legitimate and necessary for understanding Scripture, including the New Testament. So I thank you for listening, and join me again in Part 3 of Oral Torah, Proof That It Is Legitimate and Necessary. Thank you, and goodbye.